guys, welcome back to Fuel the Brave. On this series, we've got Robert Gelb, and Robert Gelb is currently the CEO of Hey Summit. Before that, he was the CEO of Kindaba. He's got a really good track record as an entrepreneur, and really great to get on the show. So, Robert, welcome to Fuel the Brave. Of course. Thanks, Chris. So, just to get started, so could you just give me an idea, we'll just talk roughly about how you actually started off in business itself because i know that you started your own tech company um which done really well um originally i don't know what's happened in the last few years i just know that at the point that you were talking about in the car wash at that point it was doing really well so how did you actually get around to starting your own business and you know what inspired you to do it and you know how did you actually get it going from the start Sure. Uh, so um, I was at I was at university uh, and uh, figuring out what it what is what it was that I wanted to do afterwards. Uh, I knew that I uh, was not mature enough, nor did I see the point of going to something like business school. Uh, right. And um, uh, and I, and I also didn't want to be like a consultant or 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 something like that. Uh, and throughout my like high school and uh, university time, I was always coming up with schemes, starting things, trying to do startups, um, uh, most uh, of which failed miserably in terms of ideas. Um, very active in like the entrepreneur kind of, uh, if you want to call it a community uh, at, at uni. Um, and then, right. so, 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 so in my final year, I was thinking, well, what can I do? I don't know what I want to do. So I, I decided to construct my own project. Mm -hmm. um, and a project that would have to force me to learn how to do a lot of the stuff that I knew I would need to do when starting a proper business. And so that was uh, a project called Bus 52 that I started, which was basically involved um, five of us living and working out of a converted school bus, like an American big yellow school bus, cool. driving around the US, um, making documentary films about people who were doing something positive in their community, but who weren't getting a lot of recognition for it. Right. This is back in you know 2012. And so as a project, it was fascinating for me because I had to figure out how to fund it. I had to, I had to figure out fundraising. I set it up as a nonprofit to help with fundraising. Um, and because it was a nonprofit type of mission, had to figure out the logistics, had to hire, basically hire a few people, um, figure out the gaps in knowledge. I had to learn how to dr drive a school bus. Um, and, um, and then, you know, uh, figure out the logistics of producing what was basically like a web show um, of 100 pieces uh, throughout the year uh, and making sure the content was, uh, was constant. And um, so we were pretty successful. We got people featured on local, regional, and national news in the States um, and did, a, did 100 stories from all the lower 48 states. Uh, and then after that, I came over to, came back to the UK and started working for a university, um, but in a, in a role that was quite an entrepreneurial role, like had to come right. up with a, with a program that didn't exist before. I had to figure out ways around problems or, or barriers um, uh, to try and get stuff done. Uh, I did that for a few years and then decided to, to, to start my own uh, tech company, and that was Kendaba, which yeah. was also not successful. <laughs> right. um, but uh, did that for two years, learned a heck of a lot, and then um, a friend of mine who uh, I, I did lots of projects on uh, at university um, had this side project uh, that was called Hey Summit. Didn't really know uh, where it was going to go. 
And so I started helping him out on, on trying to figure out a way of, of, of uh, seeing if, if it would be, uh, if it could be successful commercially. Yeah. And um, we, we did a, we did a test, um, which I can talk about if you want. Um, but yeah. uh, that, it was successful. And, and so then I, he kind of gave me the reins of it and let me, uh, let me run with it. And that was in uh, April of 2019. Uh, so okay. since then um, I've been, I've been running Hey Summit. We've been, uh, we've grown from uh, just us to uh, now 35 people. Right. Okay. Um, and, um, and yeah, and we're, we're, we're growing. Uh, it's obviously hard. We, yeah. we, we fail every day. So it's, it's quite, it's quite a challenge to say, that something is going amazingly well when all you're thinking about is the challenges, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's the story. Yeah. What I find interesting about that actually is when I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs, they've got a similar journey where they've started off with something that, so it might have been the first project and it might have not been successful, but they've really put everything into it and they've tried to grow it as much as possible and they've learned a lot from it. So whether it, you know, whether it worked out or failed, it seems to always put them onto the next project and they've got all these new skills that they can take with them. So do you think your first project that, you know, with the bus, do you think that made a big impact for you moving forward? You know, do you think you learned skills by, by doing that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that obviously as human beings, we, the best way to learn is by doing. Yeah. Uh, I think there's only so much that you can learn from a theological or a, a theoretical um, perspective. Um, and every time you do something, the next time you will, every time you start doing something, the next time you do it, it will be better. It yeah. will be more thoughtful. It will be more, um, uh, it will be done with more deliberation, but also determination um, because you have experience of maybe what good looks like or maybe what good doesn't look like. And um, so absolutely uh, the key to, doing something the right way is to probably do it the wrong way several times beforehand. Yeah. So when you're, for example, when you started off your first project, so some people I speak to, they, they want to start a business or, you know, have got these ambitions that they want to achieve, but they just don't know actually where to start. So they've got the big vision of what they want, but they don't know how to break that up into tasks. You know, they don't, yeah. they don't know how to say, right, okay, I want to get there, but how do I get there? So how did you do yeah. that? How did you actually figure out step-by-step step you know, what you need to do to actually achieve, you know, the, the first thing that would actually get you moving to, to sort of build traction? Well, I mean, I, so I think it always comes down to why. I mean, I think uh, it's, it's probably what everybody says, but, um, but it is quite important. You need to know why you're doing whatever it is that you're doing. What is the purpose of what it is that you're doing? Um, and if you can break, if, if you have a business idea or if you have an idea, that is so complex that you cannot explain to yourself why it is that you're doing whatever it is that you're doing, it probably tells you that it needs more thought or mm -hmm. it is not something that is, a, is going to be uh, achievable. And that's not because you aren't able to achieve it. It's because you don't know where to start because you don't know what you're actually doing. Um, and it's not to say you don't know what you're doing, so don't do it. It's more you don't know what you're doing, so figure out what you're doing first. Yeah. And, and I think that's the difference. Uh, a lot of people, um, frankly, they, they fall in love with their own solution to a problem that they don't know whether, they're not sure as to whether or not that problem exists. And they tell themselves that the problem exists, yeah. but there's no data to back it up. I certainly am a person like that. And that's a big failing. Um, you should not 
ever be thinking of the solution and then finding a problem for that solution, unless you work in IP. <laughs> but um, if you're if you don't, like I, I would I would strongly encourage someone uh, anyone listening, if you're thinking about starting a business, it's not about starting a business. It's about solving a problem. Mm-hmm. Find the problem that you can fall in love with. So if you can fall in love with a problem, and usually that's, that means that you're falling in love with a person. Yeah. Um, Cause all of this is emotional. If you find a person and in this case, a, a persona, a type of, a type of customer. Yeah. Um, and you're, you're thinking, you know what? I really want, would love to work with these people with a, with a person like this. I really love um, grocers. I just love grocers. I know a few grocers. They're great people. I want to figure out something that makes their lives easier. Um, the first step is not to say, oh, I've come up with this wonderful idea to um, streamline ordering of food, right? Yeah. No. Fall in love with their problems. So if you're falling in love with them, you want to know everything about them. If you're falling in love with someone, right? You want to become obsessive about them. Find out what their problems are. Don't assume you know what their problems are. Once you find out a few of those problems, there are probably a few of them that you'd like think, oh, I really want to be part of solving that. Um, so then you fall in love with the problem. And then you're, you are an expert in a problem looking for a solution with the capacity to create that solution rather than you coming up with this brilliant idea that isn't actually brilliant because nobody actually wants what it, what it is that you're selling. That's a mistake that I've made several times. And I would encourage anybody who's thinking about um, a business, but is getting a bit carried away, uh, not know where to start. I know it's not directly answering the question, but figure out the problem that you are solving for um, and focus on that. Don't focus on, do I go and register my business and get my business cards? Like none of that matters. Mm. It just matters about your, the, what is the problem that you're falling in love with? Um, so I think that's the first step. That's good advice, actually. Yeah. I mean, other than what you just said there, I started a business a few years ago. And I remember the first thing I'd done was I focused on the business cards, <laughs> you know, the, yeah. the, the logo, the brand. I wasn't really thinking at all about the problem I was solving. In fact, I was going into quite a saturated marketplace, um, setting up an agency. But, you know, I suppose a lot of people must do this, where they go in thinking, you know, they just want to have a business. That's all they care about. Just get, yeah. get something started. And then six months down the road, because you've not thought about that, you've not thought, who's my target audience? How am I actually solving the problem? Then it's hard to give them a message that they're going to actually understand, isn't it? Like, because you, what you effectively want to do is communicate with them as clearly as possible. It's, it's a defense mechanism when it comes down to it. Like, I think that a, a lot of people assume that it isn't, but um, as humans, we, we don't like uncomfortable situations, but we also like the idea of being thought of as courageous and brave. Mm. Those are two things that battle each other all the time. You hear all of these, you know, celebration of failure and all this stuff. A lot of times when you're listening to people talk about failure, especially in the tech space, it's a very pat yourself on the back. How courageous are you being open and honest about what it is that you did wrong? And, and kind of framing it as an opportunity for you to celebrate your failures. It's crucially important that you, ce- that you celebrate failures. It's crucially important that you talk about what went wrong. But I do find that, that we 
we, uh, we, we kind of hold it up to be like, there's a certain type of failure that you're not allowed to talk about. Like you have to have a reason why it failed rather than I just wasn't good enough. or I just wasn't smart enough. or I just didn't know what was going on. If you've ever heard someone talk about failure, it's very unlikely that they've gone there and they've said that. Mm. Um, and as humans, we also like to nest. We like to build a little place that is comfortable for ourselves. So if it's a, I just want to be, a, I just want to have a business. That's what you, you know, what you're saying. Yeah. Um, you are putting yourself into the future. You're time traveling into the future where you're sitting there, you're talking to people, you're having all these meetings, you're having, you know, you, you share your, your business card. Oh, that's a really nice looking business card. Oh, great to meet you over coffee. And then, you know, you, you'll write notes in your iPad, you'll hand them off to your, your, your assistant, and then everything will be wonderful. Um, projection of what life is going to be like, important, really important manifestation, all that kind of stuff, super important. But living in the future, only living in the future, um, it really is just you nesting and it's you just making yourself feel more comfortable. Um, so like that's, you know, if you want to design your business card because that calms you down because you're freaked out about how you're actually going to go out and get customers, fine. But know that that's a distraction and that's a nesting exercise. It is not actually helping you do anything. Mm, um, yeah. Does that make sense? I don't, it's your a point. roundabout way of, of, of answering it, but I think- No, you're totally right. I mean, that's what I experienced as well. You know, you've got your business cards. I thought I've got them set up there somewhere in a pack. And it's like, you end up not giving them to anyone. Um, you think you're going to start meeting all these new people and networking and stuff. And you do some of that, but it doesn't really make, it doesn't get results, does it? You've got to focus on, you know, what's going to actually change, you know, move the needle. What's going to actually get you a result. Okay. Yeah. But, but that can also be very intimidating. And so like the, I think that the, the, what I would encourage people to do is instead of saying, oh, you need to focus on results from day one and, and, and if you can't land your first client by the end of the week, you're a failure. It's not about that. If you need to obsess about something early on and you're worried and you're fearful and, and you think you've stepped out of your comfort zone, the, all of those feelings are completely natural. Don't obsess about the business cards obsess about the problem. Mm. If you think you're crap at doing business, right? But you really want to do a business, uh, really want to run a business. Um, there might be some imposter syndrome there, but the one thing that you can do that anyone can do is to become an expert on whatever problem you're, you're, you're solving. Yeah. So if, if, if your spare, if, if your anxiety uh, is, is routed there rather than um, the, uh, the business cards, for example, that is a very productive use of your obsessiveness mm -hmm. um, or your, your wanting to nest. So nest yourself by becoming more of an expert in whatever problem you're trying to solve rather than um, the more maybe superficial things. Um, that's a, that's uh, does a that make sense? Point. Yeah, no, I like that idea. That's, I mean, that's a good point, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think, I think that's probably about a lot of people go wrong, isn't it? They don't focus on that problem. They're not really thinking, you know, their goals are probably more specific towards the, what they want from a business rather than the goal that they're trying to solve. And that, I, I get your point. That's going to hold you back because you need to be, you need to be solving someone's problem before you get any clients and then they don't you or sell a problem. Exactly. Exactly. And, and solving the problem also doesn't mean you need to come up with the next big thing. 
solving the problem, especially if you're thinking about starting an agency or, or, or a professional service or whatever. Solving a problem might be this thing exists, but it doesn't work as well as it could for this niche because the existing people are trying to satisfy five types of customers, right? So the problem that you're solving is you want to make the experience better for one type of customer. Or you see that there are people in the space doing certain things and you have like a laundry list of things that you could improve on or do a better job at, 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 uh, at solving. Those kind of problems, when you see them, are really valuable because you, someone else is making all the mistakes for you. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're able to watch that. You're able to see, you know, oftentimes the market leader anywhere, oftentimes is not the incumbent. And I think that there's a reason for that. But the other thing that, that I think is a really hard lesson to learn, um, some people have this problem, some people don't. I definitely have the problem, is the world is a vastly big place. And if you are getting worried about, whoa, there's just so much competition or there's so much, you know, I'm not as good as this person, I'm not as good as that person. The world is a massive place. Mm -hmm. And people, thank goodness, people have varying different tastes and varying different needs. Carving out a niche for yourself is, is not as hard when you accept that it's your job to carve out a niche. Mm -hmm. If your job is to, oh, I'm a consultant, therefore I need to, I need to beat PwC. That's when it, then it just, it's too overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. You might beat PwC one day, but the way that you're going to beat PwC is not by creating a consulting firm that seeks to compete with PwC on every single point. You know? Yeah, that's a good point, actually. And do you think when you say choosing that niche, I, I mean, a lot of that is going to be about choosing that problem, isn't it? And also who you're going to be working with. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. If, you, if, if you're in love with a, a customer type, you know, again, uh, it, just, it, it goes back to, um, you know, uh, I'll give you an example. So like um, with Kendaba, we were building a private social network, private messenger for families. Right. Initially, we made we we made the we made the mistake of assuming that people wanted privacy. That if they were given something that was more private, that they respected, they wanted their data to be preserved, and that was a reason why they would flock to us versus um, versus Facebook or something like that. Okay. It was wrong. It was wrong. People right. don't care about privacy um, properly, like in a big in a big sense. Um, That's uh, surprising. Actually. What they do, but yeah. Yeah, it's surprising. We yeah, we made the rookie mistake though of making that assumption. Whereas what we yeah. should have been doing was we should have been saying, so we, we started we started assuming that privacy was a big issue mm -hmm. rather than validating that privacy was a big issue through knowing our customer base. Um, but what people do want is they want convenience. And they also don't like noise. So for example, it, this happened too late, but we we started to fall in love with diaspora populations. So these are populations that have family all over the world. Okay. Um, the, like, you know, um, uh, Indian Americans, uh, Nigerian Brits, people who have fa family spread out. They have a, 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 a fundamental need to share with each other. Mm -hmm. And right now, they, and they all use WhatsApp to do that. And WhatsApp is being used for like 50 different purposes. And it is overwhelming. So for them, the problem is actually overwhelm and efficiency and organization. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not privacy. 
Um, yeah. So if we were, if we had kept going, the thing that we would were, were wanting to try and do is, okay, well, how do we reduce that overwhelm? If 20% of your life on WhatsApp was taken away by something else, would that make you feel better? Would that, uh, you know, cause some, 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 um, uh, you know, solutions to problems. Yeah. Um, so like that was the road that we were down. So I think that that's just, just a way of saying, we just, we thought that all families would like this because all families like privacy and you don't want to share pictures of the baby in the bathtub with everybody. Whereas in reality, most people do and they don't care. And right. those that don't already have enough tools or it's not as big a problem as they thought. They just don't share any pictures of their kids or something like that. Right. right okay. So, um, I don't know if that answers the question or not, but so when you, because about when you started it, so what was the process? It's quite interesting, though. I mean, how did you actually get about to build a network, social network? I mean, are you a developer yourself? No, no, no. So I'm not technical, um, right. but um, but I've managed technical projects before, so I, right. I I can understand a bit about what what's involved. Um, we we started um, we were working on an idea for about six months a year. Right. Um, and, and then we, we took the, the leap of, of um, bringing on a developer, a, you know, a bit more junior developer yeah. and, and, and having, you know, specking everything out, you know, for them. We then, uh, we had technical advisors, but we are, weren't, weren't able to pay for very, very experienced like CTO, something like that. Um, but we had a, we had a really good technical advisor that helped us manage the process um so yeah it required a bit of money to start off with but it wasn't a huge amount because this was a, like a a part-time you know part-time yeah. gig for someone to just get to get us a proof of concept that we could then test um and so that's how we started uh, and i i certainly i was uh, going to all the meetups all the technical meetups um that i could to try and um meet people uh yeah. so that at least I, I i knew folks so when it came time to hire uh, we actually did already know some technical people, um, so that we could, we could have a technical person to come on and take a bit more of a leadership role from a technical perspective. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, that's, that's how we started. So what size did you get to? How many users did you have? Several thousand. We got to about, we got to about 10,000 users. Okay. Um, and then, and, but, but the reason why we stopped was financial. We just, we were trying to raise a round of investment and nobody wanted to invest in us right okay. um technic like our numbers were okay but nobody wanted to invest invest in us we had been trying we had raised about a half a million pounds overall from from angels yeah. um and an accelerator um but uh and we and we tried to make that work as much as possible but at a certain point when you're developing a consumer product you do need cash yeah. and we just couldn't we couldn't we couldn't do it so we thought you know what, let's just um, move on to other things. I find that interesting because right now everyone's talking about startups and how easy it is to get funding and, you know, the angels invest, they're there chucking money around. I take it it's not quite as easy as what people make out to get that funding. If you've got an idea or... Yeah, I think, um, no, I, I mean, like people aren't throwing money around in that way. Right. I think what people are doing, what people are doing is they are investing, you know, there's certain tax breaks, there's certain funds are being very active but i think people need to remember that like funds and investment is for a subset of businesses and for specific types of businesses i would not be thinking 
I want to start a business, therefore I'm going to get investment. This is a big mistake that I made. Um, the bootstrap mentality is far more effective for just starting out. Okay. Especially if you've never done a business before, the bootstrap mentality is basically you, you got to fund it yourself. You got to the product needs to pay for itself from day one. Right. Um, and if you're taking that mentality, there are lots of wonderful communities out there that help people learn. There's the no code movement. If you're not a, a technical person, but you want to create a product, look up no code tools. Uh, and there's lots and lots of, of, of resources, uh, you know, out there for that. But it also means that you can start effective businesses as side projects and, right, okay. al and allow yourself to see whether or not they are working before your eyes, rather than saying, you know, I've thought 50, 50 steps ahead and I just need a million bucks and then I'll be good. Yeah. That, that's very hard to do, especially when you haven't done anything before, unless you have some sort of IP or, or, or you know, some sort of reason. Um, but more importantly, I just wouldn't approach it with that mentality. I'd approach okay. it with try and be as scrappy as you possibly can to prove your point, prove that there is a problem there and prove that you've been able to um, uh, address that problem cheaply, but crappily. And the right, reason okay. why that you're, you're you, the reason why you need money is so that you can solve it properly. You know, if th that is a much more convincing argument than I have this great idea. Don't you think it's a great idea? Great. Give me some money. Mm. Well, I find interesting though. So, so you started your business, you've got the branding, you've got 10,000 users. Would it have not been worthwhile just to keep working away at it part-time? And even if it, even if you got up to a couple hundred thousand users over a couple of years, would that not have eventually worked out that you would have started to make a profit or was it, was it not scaling fast enough or did you just not see it ever getting to where it would need to be to make a profit? We, we, we had costs. I mean, like, I think, I think people, people need to be paid to do stuff. Mm. Uh, and especially when you're working on a, a thing like that, it's, um, you have server costs. You have, uh, you have uh, the, 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 the version that was out there that people were using was not the version that we wanted everybody to like, it wasn't, it wasn't fully working. Um, right. so we hadn't, we hadn't even gotten to that stage yet where, you know, it was still very much a beta tool. And if we are going to um, continue something, we want to make sure that we can service it, that we can we can uh, sustain it, and that we can be delivering a good enough experience for people so that they can keep using it. And so uh, the uh, the the economics of it just didn't work. Like we we the the we we weren't making any money from it because mm -hmm. we weren't charging for it. Yeah. The, the the monetization strategy for us was not through charging people money initially. And in order to get it to a stage where we could start charging people money, one, we didn't think that they would actually pay for it at the stage that, that it was. Um, and, and two, that, that, is, that is more work. That is more um, development work. And we just ran out of money. Mm, okay, makes sense. Yeah, I suppose yep. that's what makes it difficult once you've, yeah, you're trying to grow it and you've got to balance that, don't you? You've got all these costs coming in and you've got to scale it fast enough that it starts to get enough enough traction to and, and, and at yeah. a certain at, at a certain point you need to draw a line you need mm. to say that hasn't worked and uh, you know i saved up um money beforehand so that i didn't have to pay myself a salary for a year and a half right um a year and a half in i still wasn't paying myself a salary and there was no sign that i was going to be able to so if if we haven't been able to prove what it is that we wanted to prove um 
up until now, what makes us think that a few extra months is going to work? Mm. Uh, well, it might be for, for chance. So we did that. We spent six extra months trying right. to get to get it to work and just couldn't. So, um, so yeah, I think there's a, there's a temptation. There's a temptation not to fail, not just because you are enamored with the product or enamored with the, the, the problem, but also it's like, I've invested so much time and probably money into this. Like yeah. I need to, I, I, I need to see it through. And at the end of the day, the, the better thing is actually just to say, no, it failed. It failed. Let me move on to something else. Yeah. Uh, and that's a hard thing to do. And I'm not very good at it, but if you can do that, if you can get into that mindset and, 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 uh, and understand that yes, it failed, but also you learned a hell of a lot. Mm then you will be you will um you'll you'll be set up better for the next thing yeah i mean that's a good point that, that and that's the most important thing is what what you can take away from it isn't it like what you learn because it's your experiences that even you learn from your mistakes so effectively doing something this big it's you know you've gone a long way with it you've obviously picked up a lot of experience there now i'm sure you can use a lot of that with hey summit for example there must be so many times where you're saying right okay we've we've been in this situation before and it might have been on a micro scale compared to, for example, the, the, the problem you're dealing with might be in a completely different perspective, but you've dealt with it in one way or another before. So you, you know how to approach it. How do you, totally. um, and, um, yeah, yeah, it, 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 it happens all the time. And it just means that you're, you're, you're moving the goalposts. So the new things that, that terrify me are not what terrified me with Kendaba. Like we passed that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and there's certain, and there's certain reasons why, those things like there there were pro there were certainly problems that would take months and months and months to try and plan through whereas with hey summit is not a it hasn't been an issue simply because it started off as a bootstrap business it started off as a side project mm. we had to make it pay for itself from day one yeah. um we did take investment we took investment in in september so now we're not you know we're not profitable right now because we've hired a whole bunch of people use you know use that an investment to hire a bunch of people yeah. um but we were profitable up until that point so we've had to figure out how to do stuff in a way that we weren't able to do um with kendaba and every time you can do that at the end of the day you might think that metrics matter to you um but at the end of the day every metric is a vanity metric aside from cash mm. how much are you convincing some random person to part with for whatever it is that you're making for them? Mm. And I think that a lot of people get suckered into, oh, well, you know, if we have, if we have a, a wait list, a thousand people are on the wait list. Um, I was talking to some person, to, to, to a guy who they, they were trying to raise some investment. They had a platform. They said it was working, but they said um, 2,500 people are on the wait list. And so um, I, I asked them, so aside from you being terrified that none of them will convert from the wait list into paying you money, why do you have the wait list? And immediately they were like, there's no reason, right, no okay. reason at all. Yeah. So, yeah. well, why do you have a wait list then? You have a wait list because you're scared mm. and because it's a vanity metric. And some investors like that. They're like, oh yeah, look, if they only convert 10%, yeah, but what if they convert 0%? Mm. And the problem is, is that if you pull the trigger and open your wait list, 
then you have numbers. Yeah. And yeah. you know, what is it? The, 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 um, uh, uh, not the shit hits the fan, but like you, you, you the, you got to put up or shut up. Mm. Is the idea, did the idea work or not? Pull off that bandaid. Um, and, and, and I think that that's, that's a, that's something that we all really, really worry about. It's not ready yet. It's not ready yet. How many times are you, are you telling yourself, Oh, it's not ready. Yet. It'll be ready next week. It'll be ready next week. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, uh, do it. It's interesting, actually, vanity metrics. I know what you mean. So many people focused on, you know, even how many people follow them on Instagram, you know, and how much of that does that actually convert into a customer or a lead. And now you're right. You've got to look at how much money you're actually making and what is converting. That's that is what matters at the end of the day. Yeah. So, or 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 you just need to understand what your mechanics are. You know, if you are if you are if your business is you want to be an Instagram influencer, and that's what you want to do, and the business that you want to do is to um, get sponsored with, with, with products and you want to uh, share it on Instagram and that's how you're going to make your money. Fine. That is a business. Mm-hmm. But what then does that mean in terms of what are the products then looking for? Just because you have 10,000 people that follow you on Instagram. Um, what's the buying power of those people? What niche are you in? How can you, how can you figure out how to gauge whether or not if you share a product on Instagram, how many people actually buy it? It's this kind of stuff that's like Instagram followers might be a very good metric, but it doesn't actually matter until it turns into money. You know, it's the alchemy that you need to figure out. It's not whatever you're starting with. So talking about that, so with Hey Summit, for example, what in terms of marketing, what are you guys doing? Are you focusing on social media? Um, is it word of mouth? You know, how, how do you actually build something like that? So even, even though we're... Um, Fundamentally, we're a content marketing platform. We aren't great with marketing. Like we aren't, we don't do ads. Uh, we don't do a lot of the things that that a lot of other folks do um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, one of which is we're just not good at it. Um, right. Luckily, we, uh, word of mouth is really strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, our community is really strong. We stack up very well when compared with other platforms. Um, if you had to uh, define it, it's 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 kind of a, in a, in a, a strategy like product led growth uh, is a, is a term. So you're letting the kind of you're letting the product speak for itself in a bunch of different ways. Yeah. Um, but we're also finding like there's ceilings to that. You know, there are ways that we have to. Ex- we're experimenting a lot. Part of the reason why we raised um, raised investment was so that we can do a crap ton of experiments to see what channels work for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we know which ones don't social media, for example, doesn't work for us. Really? It doesn't really, doesn't really do very much. Um, that's interesting. So but, what did you, what did you but do? Referrals. Yeah. No, just, just, just in general, the way in which social media is what social media, how social media works is not where our customers are finding the information. Okay. Um, Understanding our customers more and understanding where they are and how they how they interact means that an hour spent doing something else other than social media should get more people than an hour spent doing social media. That's like that's the that's how you how you uh, quantify it. So now we have we have like five or six areas that we're trying to figure out where is the best time spent in these areas uh, right, based okay. off of uh, compared with conversions, right? Um, and we can see that data pretty easily. Mm-hmm. How do you see that data? I'm just curious. Do you, how do you analyze that? How do you capture that data? 
you see, so for example, we are, um, one of our experiments is webinars, pre uh, presenting webinars to communities. Right. Um, so we will, we will present to a community, uh, let's say a, a group of bloggers, right? Okay. We're, we're going to be talking to you about how to get started with vir virtual summits, the things that you should do, the things that you shouldn't do. So really high value stuff. Mm -hmm. At the end of it, we'll offer them a, 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 an offer. Uh, you can get, you know, 15% off um, your, uh, uh, if, if, if you join through and say that you're part of XYZ community. Mm -hmm. um, and what we do is we, we look at, uh, so that community, we see how big is that community? It's 10,000 bloggers. Okay, cool. Um, how are they advertising us? How are they, how are they saying that this webinar is happening? Mm -hmm. Is it through email? Is it through Facebook? Is it, what is it? Um, so, so we, we kind of get an idea of like, what's the likelihood of people coming to that webinar? Let's say we would think that, uh, uh 50 people coming from that 10,000 member group would be actually a pretty good turnout. Yeah. So, okay. okay 50 people come, um, and let's just say 25 people come. Okay. That's a sign. That's one thing. Yeah. Then how many people, how many people show up live versus how many people watch it within about two weeks? We can track that. Right. Then we have a unique we have a unique landing page that we send people to. Mm -hmm. We can track that. We also then have a unique deal code. So if they do sign up, we can then track that as well. And at the end of the day, about a month later, we can look back and say, all right, so out of that 10,000 uh, uh, blog um, uh, network, we got three customers out of that. Right, okay. What we can then do is say, okay, we got three customers out of that. How many hours did it take us to land that community and convince them to let us talk? How many hours did it take us to develop a uh, webinar? How many hours did it take for us to deliver that webinar? Um, and then say, is that worth it? Oh, yeah. Now, it might sound like it's not worth it, but when you're talking about someone paying us um, maybe $800 a month, mm. you know, for a year. Yeah, you got three of them. Got three of them, you know, that's not, mm. that's, it might be worth it, you know? Yeah, so yeah. I think it's, a, it, 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 that's what, that's, but that's how you have to, you have to figure out the non-scalable things like that. It, that doesn't sound like it's scalable, but also mm. it, it's, it's, it's not not scalable. Yeah. And so it's, it's about trying out different things that you can track. And we haven't been very good at tracking, tracking things historically, but if you can find examples so that at the end, you can just turn around and say that was successful or that wasn't successful. That is the biggest challenge with marketing, especially yeah. when you're trying to do everything. You just try and do everything. You go, you go on podcasts. Your strategy is to go on podcasts. Okay. So how do you know if it's successful? Oh, well, how many people listen to it? Mm. Yeah. Who cares? Like, you don't want people to listen to it. You want people to listen to it and click through to a deal or, you know, or say that they, that the reason why they signed up was because they heard you on a podcast. So how do you do that? What are the little things that you can do to, to convince someone of that? Right. That's interesting, but no, I totally agree. It seems to me that funnels effectively are, they're really growing up in popularity. Running a webinar, capturing details, and then I take it you're using like email marketing as part of that as well, running funnels, automation journeys and stuff like that. Not really. So, 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 so again, not really for, not really for us from an email perspective, we, we haven't really been doing that very much, right. but people use our product as a funnel. So a right. lot of people will, 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 you know, let's just say you were, um, I don't know, uh, a financial planner mm -hmm. and you wanted to um, create a, a funnel, like a lead generation funnel, you might make a summit where you um, 
showcase your expertise and bring in some partners um, to showcase their expertise. And you'd put it up there, it would run you know, for a week, but the replays would always be available for people to discover. Yeah. And, and they discover the replay because they're interested in financial planning and uh, you then have their email and then you can use that into your, your, you know, your, your email um, uh, drip campaign or you can sell to them directly. Mm. So like a lot of people use our product for that. Um, right. And so uh, similar types of strategies to using courses like creating an online course or creating a, a webinar. Content marketing in general is like this big area. Uh, some people love it. Some people don't like it. But um, it, it's, uh, yeah, uh, you have to understand your funnels and specifically you have to map them out. Mm. Uh, and without doing that, you're, you're missing, you're putting a whole lot of energy into something that uh, might not be doing anything for you or it might be doing everything for you, but you don't know. Yeah. And that's the worst thing. Yeah. Data is so important as well, isn't it? Just to make sure you understand exactly what's working. So you at least you know where to keep investing your time and your money, you know, rather than just. Absolutely. Yeah. So many people run, for example, run PPC campaigns and they're not tracking them at all. So they've got no idea. They're just chucking more and more money into it. I've seen it so many times. I'll come along and I'm, you look at analytics, you try and figure out what's working for them and they don't have a clue. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So, exactly. So I'm curious. So, so now you're a CEO um, and. I mean, it sounds like the company's going well. So what you're doing as a CEO is obviously working. What, is it, what, what do you do on a daily basis as a CEO? What, what's your role? What, what's your goals? It's uh, a hard question to answer. Um, so it, it depends on the stage of the business that, mm -hmm. that certainly I've been involved with. Yeah. The first, the first one was there were five of us. Um, and so I was responsible for a lot of the implementation of things, the strategy of things and the coordination of things. Right. My second, second company, I was, I had a co-founder um, and I was, um, uh, we had seven people. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was more around coordination, but still implementation. I basically did everything that um, everybody else didn't want to do or couldn't do. Right. So the idea of, of, I was a block blocker remover. If okay. you had a blocker, I would figure out how to try and remove it. Um, and if that meant be your admin, being a universal admin for everyone, then so be it. That's okay. what I would do. Um, as well as rep the company, um, try and raise investment, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Now um, there are parts of the business that I, can't touch anymore because I don't have the knowledge anymore um, about how to do it. I used to answer support questions, um, but we have so many support questions. We have so many other things that I've had to delegate that out. Yeah. Right. So that makes example. sense. Yeah. Um, so typically I still fall into the, well, if it needs getting done and nobody else can do it, well, I should probably try and do it. But I also know that that's, that's, especially at this age that we, we are, that's actually starting to be unhelpful. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, in, in terms of what I do all the time, I am worrying about money. I am okay. worrying about growth. I am worrying about um, uh, happiness, teen happiness. Yeah. Those are the things that I, I do. I'm a professional warrior in that way, but also um, working on partnerships, uh, developing like, you know, business development, uh, trying to um, uh, represent the product, uh, talk to potential partners, um, uh, and then, and hire 
uh, support the team uh, in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, that doesn't really help, I think, uh, describe it because it sounds kind of like everything. But um, but yeah, I, I have a leadership team that I directly manage. Okay. Um, and uh, and then I coordinate with the board. I, I, I report to the board. Um, I report to the different advisors that we have. I recruit new advisors. Um, I, I look at overall strategy. I challenge people in terms mm-hmm. of what it is that they're trying to do so that we can figure out uh, a way of achieving uh, being a bit overly ambitious in terms of what we achieve, but also not under underachieving at the same time. That's interesting. Um, and then yeah. if there are any blockers, I try and remove them. When you say challenge people, so how do you do that? So for example, is that if you, so if you've got a manager whose team's not performing or you want them to perform better, then you would challenge them on results. Is that, is that how you would do it or? No, no. So I think, so first off, it's about making sure that everybody has team buy-in in terms of these results. Uh, I really shouldn't be the one setting you your targets. You should be setting your own targets. Um, My my role is to say, what are your targets? Let's talk through them. Are those reasonable? How are you going to get there? If you come on and say, I want to, I want to increase the revenue by a million bucks. Mm -hmm. Okay. So talk to me, talk me through that. What does that mean? And then we just, we, we, you know, we talk through it. So yeah. at the end of the end of the end of that conversation, it might be, oh yeah, you want to raise it by a million bucks, but we're never going to be able to raise it by a million bucks. So maybe a more reasonable one for your team to aim for would be this number. Um, or uh, I think we're, you know, confident in raising it by a million bucks. Why not hire? Mm. Talk me through that. Talk me through that. So when I say challenge, it's more like challenging their assumptions, challenging yeah. their, the, the ways of thinking. If they are saying, I'm really frustrated by this team member, mm-hmm. my role might not be, well, fire the team member. <laughs> no, it's, okay, why are you frustrated? Mm. What, are they, what are they doing that's, up, the, the, that's pissing you off? Are you maybe not providing the clarity that you need to provide? How could you be more clear to that team member? Um, so it's a lot of coaching. It's a lot of yeah, uh, so listening. Yeah, um, yeah it's, so you, it, that's what I mean when I say challenging. So you're looking at the big picture and you're helping them yeah, you're looking at the big picture and trying to make sure that you're not getting too involved in the detail. You're trying to help them, sort of coach them through it, basically, like you said there. Yeah. Try to, try to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 I do fall victim to getting into the details more than I should be. So how do you deal with, so let's say you're, you're doing this and someone's giving you a lot of pushback, for example, and they're being really defensive. How do you deal with that? Do you, what, what, you know, how would you normally go about that if someone starts, you know, well, getting defensive? We like to, so we are, we try our best to be radically candid with each other. So radical candor is this feedback um, mechanism where it is like an agreed upon set of terms that allows you to convey how it is that you're feeling, but also encourages people to be open, honest, and transparent with all the feedback that they're giving. Okay. So there's this, there are these quadrants. Radical candor is obviously the, the thing that you want. Uh, you should trust me. Uh, to, to, you should know that I want you to succeed. Therefore, the reason why I am, I'm, I'm saying that something wasn't right is not because I think you are bad. It's because I want you to improve. Mm. So if you start from that perspective, that's a powerful thing if everybody feels that way. But you also have other, other quadrants that you can fall into. You could have a, another one is ruinous empathy. You're saying you're doing a great job, but you're not doing a great job. That is not mm. helpful to you. That's actually not respecting you yeah. as, a, as an adult to be able to listen to the feedback that you're mm-hmm. not doing a good job. 
There's also uh, obnoxious aggression. This is very common in tech startups of someone just being a dick. Right. You know, I don't, I don't give a shit. Just get it done. I don't understand why, why you can't get it done. That stuff is toxic. It's terrible. Right, okay. It's really, really bad. And then the final one is manipulative insincerity. Trying to manipulate someone, trying to get them to do something while secretly talking behind their back. And very common in like educational institutions, okay. um, uh, uh, you know, and, and, or, or like big bureaucratic institutions. These quadrants are like our short, short codes so that if we're having a conversation, you can tell me, hey, I feel like you're being obnoxiously aggressive right now. Mm. And as soon as you tell me that, to me, it doesn't matter if I feel like I'm doing that or not. You have, you have identified that, I have, that I'm hitting a nerve right now. Mm, okay. So regardless of how I think I'm coming across, I need to stop. I need to pause. Be like, okay, cool. So how am I being obnoxiously aggressive? All right. I feel like you're, 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 you're barking at me because of this, that, and the other thing. It's about allowing conversations to happen so that they can, or encouraging conversations to happen so that you can get back to that transparency, back to that, that radical candor. Right. So when okay. you say, what if, you're, what if someone's getting pushback? I want pushback. Yeah. I want challenge. But it, it shouldn't be a case of, I hate you, or why are you being so mean to me? It's not that kind of challenge. It's more like, um, no, we can't meet this target because of this reason. I'm telling you this that we're you know we're we're not able to do it because of because you're not uh you're not hiring X Y Z person. Mm, okay, yeah. I disagree. Let's have a debate. Um, does that make sense? So like yeah, if you yeah. are if you are having a debate within the framework of radical candor, you want that kind of interaction. Right. You okay. actually you, you prefer that rather than someone saying, oh yeah yeah all good. Cool. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point, actually. I suppose that means that everyone's going to be as open as possible. So you're going to get good feedback from everyone, yeah. Yes, it's, 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 it's hard. It takes a lot of practice. And I'm, I certainly were not perfect. But the, the more open and the more transparent that you can be, trusting that the other person wants you to succeed, it means you don't have to deal with crap like passive-aggressive behavior and, and fiefdoms and all that kind of stuff. Right. So do you find, does everybody fall into that? You know, can, can everyone do that? Or do some people really struggle to be that open? Some people struggle. Yeah. Some people really struggle. And we try really hard to, um, to talk about it, to dwell on it a lot in the hiring process, uh, to make sure that we are modeling, that everybody's modeling what, what that means. Yeah. That when in, when in doubt, like if, if someone privately was to say to me, like, I really don't think you, you made a good call there. Um, I will try if they are comfortable, as long as they're comfortable, I will try and get them to say that publicly okay. so that other people can hear them critique me mm -hmm. so that I can display what I display privately. Um, so that to try and encourage others to, to, uh, to also feel comfortable telling yeah. me that they thought something I did wasn't right. Um, or that I missed the mark in, 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 in something. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's tough, and and uh, power dynamics are are always something that you need to balance. Um, yeah, I mean, but, I think, um, I, think yeah, that, it, I think it's great. I mean, it's something that I've in the past as well. You know, when you're in a job, you've got your your yeah. manager, or if the or if there's an owner, the CEO. Sometimes you think, well, you know, you kind of want to be in your best behavior sometimes around them because not it's not always the, the way that you're describing there. Sometimes you don't want to challenge, you know, your manager because they might take offense to it, and then you've got the you know. So it's great that people can do that and not worry about 
having a negative kickback on them. You know, they can be honest, be I, open, I, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to work out better for everybody. It gives me more trust in you the first time that you behave that way or that you challenge me. So like, that's what, that's what we try and tell everybody. I will know that you are, are settling in and being more comfortable in your role the first time that you challenge something that I've said. Mm. And, and, and on the flip side though, we have had sometimes when people just aren't, they, they can't do that. Yeah. And, and, but that also, that means then we can't work with them. Right. Like if you're, if you aren't able to be that open and you aren't able to, to reflect what it is that you're really thinking, that means you're not, you're not trusting us to listen to your expertise. Yeah, All right. That point. means that you are not pre presenting your whole self mm. in your work. And that means we are wasting money, Yeah, you know, yeah. because you don't feel comfortable doing that. Um, so, so that's why we, we, we try and go out of our way to encourage people to be as open and honest as possible, mostly because it cuts through the crap and it lets us actually move forward yeah. and, um, and build something through empathy, mm. you know, through making sure that people feel supported and, um, uh, and encouraged in the work that they're doing. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's great. I suppose that's, it's also good to know that for mindset as well and positivity, if people are not lingering on a problem, you know, they're not covering up, too scared to say something, they're going to perform better, they're going to feel better, they're going to feel listened to. I think that could be, you know, it's going to be great for the company, isn't it? Uh, yes. So th there's this, there's this, um, this term in technical development, a no blame culture. And that's another thing that is crucially important. I think we've all had bosses where you said, um, why hasn't this been done? Whose fault is it? Who, yeah. who's, yeah. who is the reason why this hasn't uh, been done? And that is a fallacy. That is a, um, you know, if it is honestly someone's fault, first off, what good is it doing to say, well, you're, you're just an idiot. Mm. Do better next time. But also, what type of example does it set for people to be able to say, man, I screwed up on this one. Can I get some help? Can I can I can I get some help next time? Or or uh, or I think I'm going the wrong the wrong route. Is anyone available? Or I think I'm going to miss the deadline. Um, if the deadline's going to be missed, the deadline's going to be missed. Mm -hmm. You bottling it up and missing the deadline and then feeling shit about it and then having people getting upset with you is not as helpful as you saying, "Hey, I'm really worried because I wasn't able to get this done. I pulled an all nighter and I." I, I, I dropped the ball, right? Or, or I didn't have the information that I need. Um, I, I, can't, I, I, I can't imagine a universe in which that is, not, is, is the worst outcome, right? It, it, you, having a no-blame culture means that when there's a mistake, it is always shared because it is celebrated. Um, in development, this is so crucial. If someone makes a coding error that 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 um, takes down the entire site, right, yeah. and they are afraid to say it, and they're being defensive about it, mm. and it's not their fault, do you really think that problem is going to be fixed? You know, um, whereas if, instead, if someone's like, "Hey, everyone, me here, totally fucked that up. Uh, this is how I this is how I screwed it up, and this is this is how I think we should do it better." 
that teaches people, that acknowledges the, that, that, that something went wrong, mm -hmm. and it provides uh, space so that everyone can learn so that they're not going to make that same mistake. And so a no-blame culture is crucial if you actually want people to move fast. Right, okay. If you want them to be scared of you, fine, don't do it. But, but fear does not get you anywhere. Do you guys look for, for example, if you're filling a role, are you looking at the disc test, for example, or something similar to within your organization to fill that role? Look, we, we have certain we have certain expected behaviors. Right. But but those expected behaviors are not we certainly are not at the size at which we do psychometric testing for applicants. Okay. Um mostly because I think I can I could find you two people who might be on the opposite sides of those of one of those tests and they still present themselves and they they come in and they do amazing work. Mm -hmm. um, so so for us, it's more like making sure that it is very clear what the expectations are. Uh, technical ability, but also culture, um, engagement, um, activeness on Slack, all of that kind of stuff. We do mm -hmm. talk about. We do we we go over and we identify if we think there's a risk. You know, we'll we'll say we love we love what you're what you present as a technical person. We're concerned that you might not be as comfortable with this. What do you think? You know, yeah. um, I, I, everybody that you hire, everybody that you hire, uh, maybe this is another thing that I, I'd encourage people to think. If you are going to hire someone and you think they are the perfect person for the role and, and they literally are, there's no one that could be better. If you find yourself thinking that way, take a step back. Mm. Nobody is perfect. Uh, if you are putting someone on a pedestal that high, there is no possible way that they can they can fulfill it. Mm -hmm. Go in as open-minded as you can and identify the risks or the challenges associated with everybody that you hire. It's that's not a negative thing. It's more like this is the area that I want to make sure that I'm supporting that person on because I don't know if they can if if they've done that before or if they have experience with this. Um, if you can do that, then you can work with a variety of different types of, of, of people. Um, but there are certain base, you know, um, uh, uh, bars that they have to meet. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I just, I find these things quite interesting. Um, a friend of mine works for Amazon and he actually got that test a week ago and he sent me his results and he said, try it. So I did it as well, but he got right in the middle of red, which basically means um, well, in this test that he sent me, it basically means he's really decisive. He's really, uh, he's quite, he wants to be in control. He likes to be, you know, be in charge and everything else. And, and he's a project manager. So it makes sense for that role. So it made me thinking about, you know, it made me think that it might be handy for some companies to, to use that if they're, if they're like, want to know how someone thinks and how someone No doubt. No, no, yeah. Yeah. no doubt. But I think that there's certainly, I think there's a stage that you need to get to. And there is a, a certain level of definition of roles that you need to get to, mm. especially if you're just starting out, if you're talking about entrepreneurship, especially. At the end of the day, everybody has to be a generalist in some way or another. Yes, they mm. might be a specific, they might have a specific skill, but there's, um, so a friend of mine who's a, who's a, he's a serial COO has this, has this scale. And I think right. this is so, it's, it made sense uh, so clearly to me, but I, I think it might be helpful to talk about. There's one to 10. Okay. 
you and it's and it's not about ability it's about complexity so if you're a ceo or a founder a one is you're in your garage building your thing mm -hmm. one person a 10 is your ibm you're a massive very complex um company if you're a ceo at number one it is very very unlikely almost like statistically impossible so very improbable for you to be able to be a one to a 10. Okay. That makes for sense. you to be able to grow from one to a 10. There are exceptions, but by and large, it's not possible. If you are going to be a marketing person, likewise, it's very unlikely that you will be a marketing person that is great and making an impact at a one and a 10. Usually all of us span between two and three of those numbers. Okay. So you might be a two to a four, but once the company gets above a four, it's going to be really hard for you to keep up in terms of the way in which the, the, the systems that need to be in place for jobs to be done. Likewise, if you're a seven and you try and start a company, you'll find it really difficult because of the lack of systems that are in place. So, you know, when you're talking about your friend at Amazon, now I don't, don't know, obviously don't know what your, 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 your friend does, but Amazon is a nine or a 10, right? So if somebody is, um a great person for a project management role at amazon mm -hmm. that might be very different and the, the the requirements that amazon has is very different to, than a great project manager for me you know we're, we're still we're like a three two three something like that right so so because of that like disc profiles and all that kind of stuff it's more those are more important the more mechanized the more systematized your business is at the early stage flexibility and chaos is a lot more important but also um uh likely mm -hmm. right um over processing at our stage will kill us got you That's under processing at amazon stage will kill them mm. it's interesting actually that's a good point i've never thought about that so do you think for example where you are right now as a ceo do you think you don't think you could adapt to for example running something like Amazon, even if you were in there for a long enough period of time to learn the system and to adapt? Or do you think, you know, no, I couldn't. You, right, I, okay. I, so so I, I, I say that, so this is the problem that a lot of uh, CEOs face, a lot of founders face this. Um, you see it when a company starts taking off and they start adding complexity, adding complexity. You sometimes see that like CEOs are suddenly um, dropped or they're replaced you know, or founders become chairman or founders become, you know, chief uh, product officers or, you know, things like that. Yeah. Part of the, part of the reason is that they can't make that leap. And it's not to say that they're not good. It's not like they're, they're not a good person or they're, they're not, they're not talented. It's they aren't able to um, make the transition um, in a way that fits with the, with the company. So for me, Let's say, let's say I'm a, I'm a two to a three and right now we're a three and we're, we're pushing to get into a four. I have to either up my game and adapt to how a CEO at a level four would work, mm -hmm. or it would be better for the company if another person came in to do that. Um, doesn't mean that I don't have value, uh, mm -hmm. but it also, it also means that I like nobody's, nobody's irreplaceable. You know, um, and, 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 but, but the same thing is with your marketing person and with your, 
with your um, technical leader. You know, you see this a lot in companies. If you see a, um, a tech company, you'll see a CTO. And if they've been a CTO for a long time, like since the company was two people, chances are there will be like a senior VP that is under them. Right. What most likely is happening is that the CTO is the figurehead, the, the passionate one, the one that can inspire people, but they do not do, they do not manage the technical infrastructure. They don't manage the team. They don't manage any, uh, anybody. Right. right. Um, that's, that's not uncommon. And the reason why uh, that happens is because that CTO might've been fantastic in the early days, mm. but now they, they couldn't adapt uh, to that, but they still, maybe there's still some value in, in keeping them there or their founder or whatever it is. So yeah, absolutely. I don't, I, the idea of running Amazon to me, especially knowing, seeing how, how we've grown, I could tell you, like, I wouldn't be the right person to run Amazon. Absolutely mm. not. Absolutely not. Interesting. So what do you think of the, what do you think changes when you're looking at someone from a scale of one to 10? What do you think is are, are the core personality traits or skills set or what do you think is changing between one and 10? Is it the ability to multitask, the ability to think on your feet, make decisions? What do you think it is? No, I think it's the complexity of work. It's, 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 it's being able to build complex systems and work within complex systems and in some ways narrow your world. A person who is a, you know, pick a bank, pick the CEO of a bank right now, a big bank. Mm -hmm. um, they probably have to make very few, but very important decisions. Mm -hmm. And so the way in which they operate is about relying on certain data, being able to be confident about that data, but then using that data to make their decision clear. So it's about building consensus, understanding consensus, and then um, relying on the, 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 the people that you hire to, to make the right you know, decisions. You pull that banker into a startup. They don't have the data. They don't know what to do because, yeah. because there isn't that, um, that, that um, uh, you know, bringing up that, that, that um, assuredness that their advisors would be able to bring them or the data that would be able to bring them. Or you know, they might need to do one big thing at the company or they might be tasked to do one big thing that they've done at other companies. Mm. So I think what changes is your ability to work within different levels of complexity in terms of systems. Cool, yeah. right? okay. uh, um, uh, and, and, and I think that that's, that's why, especially when people are looking at, at businesses out there, you know, is the CEO the person who runs the company or is the CEO a figurehead? Mm. And by figurehead, I don't mean to belittle the CEO. A figurehead is super important. A figurehead is the, the avatar of the company, the yeah. going out and representing it. That is a, a hugely important role. But that also might not be the right, the, the person who actually day-to-day -day manages everything. Mm. Um, chances are it isn't, especially if they've been there from the beginning. Um, so it, it's about settling into what it is that you find. If you're a very process-driven person and you love operating the business, well, then you're probably going to lack the ability to be present. Yeah. Uh, or, or, or going on uh, CNN and doing interviews or, you know, like that kind of stuff, you will, you will then start to see companies that have uh, their head of partnerships that is the public face of the company or something like that. Mm. So it's about finding where you are most effective. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and the, the, the more complex the business is, the more 
the effectiveness is about managing a very small group of people. Yeah. And, 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 and making very stressful decisions. Mm. That's interesting. What I'm thinking as well, when you say this is also something Jordan, um, what's his name? Peterson was talking about, and he was, it was referring to IQ and talking about complexity and how obviously someone with a higher IQ can deal with more complex problems because they can understand them easier and they can simplify them easier. I'm just wondering, do you think that, do you think IQ is relevant there as well? You don't. So you think it's more just to do with, no, right, okay. Uh, So, so are the leaders of the world and the leaders of the biggest companies, do they have the highest IQ? I personally, no. I'm, okay. Do things okay. I, I, I would, I would at least my bet is no, they don't. Or are the highest IQ people in leadership positions? I don't think that that I, I um, I would be very surprised if that was the case. Okay. Mensa as an organization has brilliant, brilliant people, but just because you have a high IQ does not mean you are able to lead. Mm. All right, the, it's the, the two are not linked in in okay. my opinion. Yeah. Um, I think that that intelligence. Um, uh, subject matter expertise, politics, and ability to ana- uh, uh, to analyze are all very different. So having a high IQ might be helpful, certainly, but I, I don't think it's necessarily the uh, uh, the the determiner about um, whether or not someone is able to marshal resources in order to advance towards a goal. Hmm. Chances are, and I don't know, but uh, chances are. The um, CEO of IBM um, has a much lower IQ than many of the researchers at IBM. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would make sense, um, yeah. You know, yeah. So, so, so I think I think that the the I think EQ is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Becomes less important, but EQ is very important, and the ability to be disciplined with what it is that you're doing is very important. But um, but yeah, I I I. I a lot of times a CEO's job is to ruthlessly implement certain things that are not, not in and of themselves complex, but they are unpopular or they are challenging to do. Mm. You know, yeah. if you know you have to turn the, the cruise ship around, it's, it's literally, no, no, turn the wheel and keep it there. Right. Rather than, Oh, let's let let's calculate the, the 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 degree to which we should turn the wheel. Oh, should we turn it back now? Or are we a bit scared? It's, it's it's making those kinds of decisions in a much more complex space. And I don't think IQ has anything to do with that. Okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So it's making those tough decisions and having the you know the balls to stick with it. When well, it's more about being in the the place of responsibility to do that. Mm. It's it, it, it's and I'm not saying the CEO of uh, IBM is therefore more ballsy. Mm-hmm. than the CEO of uh, XYZ small company. You know, it's about having the capabilities and the understanding to manage that stress, manage those, those, uh, those decisions, weighing up all the evidence. Mm. You know, the president of the United States, incredibly stressful job, right? But it's not necessarily because they are sitting all day making decision after decision after decision after decision. If 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 they're if if they're doing their job correctly and they have a team around them that are doing uh, everything correctly, the number of decisions that they have to make on a daily basis should be not as high, because mm-hmm. a lot of this work has been done already. It's about them um, 
setting the tone, setting the leader, leadership direction, and being able to uh, take on the responsibility of ultimately making those decisions. Obama famously, he had, uh, he only had two types of suits because he didn't want, he didn't want to have to choose anything else. <laughs> I so forgot about Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense though, yeah. Keep your uh, decision-making for later on in the day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. So if you were to go back now, you, so if you were to go back to your, say, your last startup, would you do it differently from the experience that you've had at Hey Summit? Is there anything you've learned or anything you've changed about yourself? Absolutely. Is there? Yeah. Okay. What, Everything what would, would be different. Right. A everything would be different. The, 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 from the first day of us, starting to do our research, it would be different. Right. Um, yeah, it, 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 we made so many mistakes that uh, even at the first day of Hey Summit though, I do that differently too. Really? Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, do, like I, I, I still think Kandaba was a good idea. I still think it, there, there is a problem. I still think it hasn't been solved yet. And, but yeah, we would have, we would have, we would have done it completely differently. So if you were to give advice to someone that, for example, wants to start a, a business, what would you, you know, what would you say to them? What, what have you learned and what would you do differently that would help them? Well, exactly what I was uh, saying before, don't be distracted by the shiny object syndrome of thinking of yourself as building a beautiful solution. Obsess over the problem, really obsess over the problem. And um, don't, don't obsess over perfection, obsess over the problem. And um, if you think something's not ready, great, push it out. Mm. Um, it, I think that there's, there, there's, too much, there's too much to be gained by getting ideas out there, by, getting, um, by, by talking to people, by really understanding what the problem is. Um, so, and, and also like, I know that I think the the lean startup is a popular popular book. There are parts of it that I disagree with, but the minimum amount that you can possibly do to validate whether or not your idea is a good idea or not, lean into that. If you have an idea for something, whatever it is, what can you do in an hour to give you a little bit more confidence that the idea has valid uh, validity? And then what can you do in another hour and another hour rather than, which is what I guess I, I certainly am a victim of, rather than keeping it to yourself and creating this world in your own mind about why this thing is so crucial. Um, definitely imagining things, brainstorming, super important. But don't let that prevent you from actually figuring out if you're onto something or it's just in your head. That makes sense. I guess that's where probably a lot of people do, isn't it? They, they, it's all in their head. They think it's going to work. They've got an idea and yeah, they've, they've not spoken to anyone about it. That makes sense. Find out ideas what are, I, ideas are the cheapest thing in the world. I had someone, someone came up to me and they're like, Oh, Hey, I'd, you know, I'd love you to introduce me to some, some investor. Okay. So what, what do you, you know, what's the product? Oh well, I can't say. You know, it's a secret. It's a secret. But but it's gonna it's gonna destroy Uber. Yeah. As soon as I hear someone like that, bullshit. Yeah. You're full of bullshit. <laughs> no, it's I I would never I would never introduce someone who 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 um, 
who's taking it like that. You are clearly in a world of your own creation and you have no idea either what's involved or an awareness that ideas are cheap. It's the ability to implement on those ideas. It's yeah. the ability to operate and to, to get, uh, uh, to, to build stuff. Mm. It's, if, if, you, if you are someone who builds things incredibly well and incredibly quickly, whatever that is, businesses or, or, or like ideas or, or technical, whatever, if you are a great builder, that is far more valuable than someone with a big idea mm. because you can prove that you can execute. That is the challenge. It's not having the idea. To be the ability to execute and iterate. Yeah, that's a good point. So, do you find that a lot of entrepreneurs that you've met that have had successful startups, and yourself, you I mean you built one that got a lot of traction? Do you think that's a big part of it? Then, I mean, being able to get things going, build something fast as possible, um, build momentum. Yeah. Yeah. the The degree to which I am not good at that is the reason why I haven't been more successful. So, I, I, I maybe I'll. I'll I'll flip it back that way. So it's if bigger, I was better, big, yeah. yeah, if I was, if I was better at iterating and if I was better at building, I would be more, uh, I would have had more success in what I was doing than I have. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. If, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that's, a, that's a good point. Actually. I suppose that's where a lot of people, like you say, if you, if you've got an idea and you want to actually build traction, you want to get investment, you have to be able to actually make it happen quick, don't you? Because if you've got a window really don't you if you get an investment you know you're only going to have so much investment so if it doesn't start to build traction quickly you're going to run out of money and yeah so it, it makes sense that that's important I, I i would also just encourage you to take investment out of it does the idea work investment should allow you to get to a stage that you think you're going to be able to get to um quicker right unless you're building an airline you should be able to prove or at least have some confidence in proving the idea um, on your own. If you're using investment as the, oh, I have this great idea for an app, uh, but I need, I, need, I need money to do it. If, you, if that is a barrier that you're putting, in, putting up for yourself because you're scared of the ability for that idea to actually work, or you are intellectually not curious enough to find out if it's a good enough idea using whatever tools that are at your disposal. Mm. So let me ask you a bit more about managing your day-to-day -day and managing your company. So what do you actually do to schedule your day to make sure that by the end of it, you've done things that are going to push the needle forward. You're going to drive the business. How do you do that? It's hard. <laughs> There's, um, I think there are things that you, should do and there are things that i do sometimes uh and there are things that i get pissed off when i don't do um but to say that my life is a regimented piece of perfection is a fallacy mm -hmm. um but in general i um my calendar is my bible um i have a lot of meetings um and i think oftentimes i um I think my, the average number of meetings that I have, I, something about like when I was looking at my stats, about, uh, around 20 hours a week, okay. I've been meetings. Right. Um, which is a, a lot. lot. That's a lot, yeah. It, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, so, so part of it is having a system to make sure that those meetings are spent productively. Mm -hmm. 
um, and also having an output of, of those. So like I use, um, our team uses ClickUp as a task manager. Right, I've never heard of that one. And uh, it's kind of like Asana or Monday.com. It's one of those types. It's like an overall thing. Um, I do like it a lot. Yeah. The more that I work in it, the more I feel productive. If it doesn't, if it doesn't exist there, it doesn't exist. Um, but usually I, so usually I, I have different admin hours throughout right. the day. So I, I, I will not get back to emails immediately. I try and, uh, I try and do inbox zero. So at the end of every day, um, I at least have to look at every email. So either deal with it, archive it, or uh, snooze it uh, okay. to another day. Um, the same thing is with tasks. I have, a, I have a dumping ground of tasks. I have a team member that helps me with those tasks. Um, but uh, it's about having some visibility uh, on them and then yeah. uh, scheduling them out. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, 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 it's tough. Like I, I have, um, I also have a goal system, which is also in ClickUp, but you can do it using a, um, spreadsheet. What is your overall goal and what are the actions that will, that you think will move the needle towards that goal? Mm. Uh, so then you're not obsessing about the goal. You're obsessing about the actions. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I have a public, a, 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 a public place that displays that so that I can see progress and that of course makes me feel better. Um, and then I have um, a, a relatively structured one-to-one -one with each leadership team member talking about their goals. What are the numbers that they're, they're focusing on? What are the challenges to those numbers? Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if that, that answers your question, but no, yeah, it does a lot of, it's a lot of as well, actually. And I agree that you should, you should focus on what you can control as well. Like you say, don't focus on the end goal, but focus on the task because you can control that's what you you have control over that. Where if you you do, yeah, and that's important, isn't it? That you've, you you at least feel like you're in control of getting where you want to be. If you're just focused on on the goal, then you can become overwhelmed. You know, you can sort of forget about the actual tasks that you need to take, the steps yes. you need to take to actually make that happen. Yeah. Well, why is our why is our recurring revenue uh, uh, not high enough? You can think about that till the cows come home. But if you're like, okay, well, how, how does revenue get, get higher? Either it means more people are using it or it means fewer people are leaving. The so churn versus you know, acquisition. Okay, so what's the churn and what's the acquisition? All right, so the acquisition, if we need, if we need it to get to that level, we need like 10 more people to use us. What's our conversion? It's about 25% conversion. All right. So then we need 40 people to sign up. Mm -hmm. um, we had 20 people sign up yesterday uh, or, or last week. So then the goal is not why is revenue not working? How can we get 10 more people to sign up every day? And mm -hmm. then maybe 10 more people to sign up every day after that. Um, there are these 10 problem, uh, projects that we're working on that are actually doing that. Mm -hmm. Which ones then could be helped? Why, who, which ones can I help with and which ones can I help with? Mm -hmm. Which ones should we stop doing? Which ones should we start doing from the backlog? That turns into a lot simpler set of, of, of decisions and deliberations than freaking out over the fact that MRR is down or up or whatever. Yeah. Um, try, trying to break it down as much as possible means that Yes, you need it to get your head up and be and be like, no, we're structurally we're we're not doing, you know, good enough. But day to day, you really shouldn't be in those numbers. 
Mm. Uh, you should be in the numbers that matter. So in this case, in this example, trials matter a hell of a lot more than looking at trials every day matters a hell of a lot more than looking at revenue every day. Yeah, yeah, no, that totally makes sense. That's a good point. I think a lot of people forget that when they're running a business, don't they? That they're so focused on, you know, the, the bigger our goal, they just totally forget about what, what they need to actually do to, to get it there. It's like, for example, if you've got a funnel, an email funnel, you know, you need to get as many leads as possible into the funnel to then get as many conversions out of it. Where some people are just focus on the conversion and forgetting about just chucking a net out there. You know, how are you, how are you going to distribute content? How are you going to create webinars? Are you going to run social media ads? You know, but actually doing it in a way that, that that's going to be effective and measuring the results. You know, so much better than just focusing on how many clients have we got last week. It's tough. It's tough though because you're not dealing with a closed system with your funnel, for example. You're dealing with a pipe, a leaky pipe. Mm. You're not building. You're not building this beautiful this beautiful funnel. You're building. You're dealing with a leaky pipe, and you need to figure out what stages are more leaky than others mm -hmm. that you can maybe improve on that will deliver a higher percentage of whatever the end goal is. Yeah. So is it a problem? Like, so our example funnel, we have uh, hits on our site, visits to our site. We have um, trials mm -hmm. that start. We have conversions from trials to paid. Yeah. And then we have retention. Let's just focus on that. That for, this is overly simplistic, but anyway, if we want to increase customers, uh, people who pay us, we can either say we just need to increase hits on the site. We can say we need to actually increase number of trials, like percentage of hits to trials, like conversion to trials. Yeah. Or we need to convert more people from trials. Mm -hmm. All of the answers might be right, or only one of them might be, and mm -hmm. that's what gets more complicated. Where do you focus your time? If you could get to a place though, where it's good enough yeah. on one, that means you can say, okay, we don't care about conversion from trials. Oh, our trial, trial to pay conversion is okay. Yeah. Fine. At least we're not going to worry about that. So then it's like, okay, well, where are they breaking off? Where are they falling off? But it's a, it's, it's a complicated thing. It's a, and, and that is, that is definitely, if you can, keep your wits about you when you're going through that process, you will do a hell of a lot better Yeah. than someone else. Yeah, no, it's true. I think uh, data is so important, isn't it? And having access to that data now, you know, the, the tools that are available, it just makes it so much better to actually look at the results that you're getting and then look back at it. Like you say, within the funnel there, which part of the funnel is performing well, you know, and it might be that, for example, you're getting lots of leads in, but maybe they're not opening the you know, maybe they're opening the first email, but they're not doing anything else after that, or they're leaving and they're just trying to figure out where that leak is and, and, and fixing it as fast as possible. Yeah. If you have data, wonderful. But also don't, on the flip side, don't obsess over needing to have data before starting. That's mm -hmm. the, other, the other side of the problem. We can't start anything. We can't do anything until we can track every single part of the funnel. Well, you might then never start. <laughs> So you got to start somewhere. You got to start doing stuff yeah. um, and, and just be okay with the fact that it's incredibly inefficient. It's going to be incredibly inefficient until you can figure out your, your tracking. Mm. Um, it doesn't mean you don't do it. And so for you guys, I take a content. I mean, you, you, you are effectively creating 
you're a system that creates content a platform but are you how important is creating your own content for you in terms it's very of important it, it, it's very important and again like I, I think we're not as good as we should be but yeah we we create courses we create um uh we create lots of different types of content we do we do webinars we do uh linkedin lives we do a whole bunch of different things right um to raise awareness um and and to develop content um we are redoing our funnel right now so that we are so so we can track them better but yeah uh content is quite important to us yeah yeah that's what i find as well especially with like linkedin i mean organic content reach is fantastic at the moment so you might as well mm -hmm. do it you know if you're going to create good content put on linkedin I mean, is it, what do you find works best for you guys? Is it LinkedIn? Is it Twitter? Is it, is it uh, Instagram, Facebook? I mean, so we, we don't really do brand social media, right? We do, we do community uh, and population driven um, access. So we're not going to be doing a campaign on Facebook. We are yeah. going to find groups on Facebook of entrepreneurs that we think are relevant and try and ask them or break into those groups mm -hmm. and engage with them in some way. Um, so it's about, it's, it's, so it's, it's like going where our customers are rather than using the broad tools that yeah. our customers might use as well. So yeah. us you, using LinkedIn live, it's on my personal account, not on the corporate account. Right. Because a lot of event planners add me on LinkedIn. So if that's the case, then let's try and reach those people. Yeah. Um, so th that's the calculus. It's not, uh, oh, let's go on Pinterest because we think Pinterest might, might work. Got you. We tried okay. that. We, we tried those types of things. And it's just uh, that that's not, as, that's not as effective a strategy, at least for our business, yeah. as literally just trying to break into specific customer groups that match with our personas. Yeah, that makes sense. I suppose you can, if you do that and you get a group, you're going to have a tap into a big audience straight away, aren't you? Like if you've got a exactly. group that's got 50,000 members and you even get like 10% of that to, to come to a webinar that is, uh, is, is targeted. And yeah, that's a really good way of doing it. So do you never run ads on Facebook and just target those groups? We've, we've, we've experimented, right. um, but very, I think we've run one ad. Right. Haven't, uh, uh, so if they've already opted in, they've already sought out some community yeah. Let's just say there's a, a community of, of uh, virtual event planners, right? Mm. The reason why they've joined that group is literally because they want to take action to make themselves better at event planning. Yeah. So why wouldn't we try and see if we can be helpful to that group? Because those are already primed uh, you yeah. know, potential customers. They're, are, they're already warm. So yeah. um, uh, it doesn't really make sense for us to waste money on Facebook ads um uh when we aren't sure that they that, that that's going to work it very well might happen but there's so many other lower hanging fruits that might be much more um convertible mm. for us to try first I, I what we're doing and the fact that we're not using ads i wouldn't necessarily recommend that for everybody if you're running some some people uh, it's great to run ads to 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 test a hypothesis right but just don't get obsessed with that um you know, if you're, if you want to create a shoe and the shoe is really cool, different looking shoe and you want to see if people would find the shoe interesting. Yeah, sure. Run an ad, see if people will click on the ad, see if people will click on the, the wait list to get told when the shoe's ready. Fine. But a lot of times I think people, uh, oversimplify how effective that is for other types of products. I'm curious. What do you, so what, what would you offer a group? 
in order for them to then, because obviously this, they're offering you a lot of value if they're going to let everyone know about your webinar and invite everyone within that group to your webinar. So what do you offer them? Um, good question. So a couple of things. So one is hopefully the webinar that we're pitching them is something that actually they might value. So if you're the guardian of this group, you want to make sure that you're serving the group, that you're providing value to the group. Yeah. If you are giving them um, a webinar from a company doing a, a, on a subject that might be relevant to them, that'll make you look good, one. Two, we're gonna give your group a discount, some sort of an offer to make it so that you can say, hey, because you're an exclusive member of this group, you're gonna get a discount. And then three, we will offer to give you some commission. So if you want to um, uh, sign up as an affiliate, then anybody who signs up from your group, you'll get 30% of their of whatever they pay us. Um, and so it depends. Some people are motivated by that, some people aren't. Um, so we can offer a few different things. Yeah. Um, I guess the final thing is we can also host you on our community. Uh, so we can we can give you some some exposure as well. Sounds good. Excellent. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. Well, to be honest, I don't have any more questions. Um, I mean, I've, we've covered a lot and it's been really interesting. Uh, <laughs> I've talked your ear off, so, so I appreciate it. No, I really appreciate your time. I mean, I've learned, I've learned a lot here, so uh, it's been really good.